Welcome to the History of Judaism, the history and story of the Jews, told by me, Yossi Silverman, Israeli tour guide, educator, an old fogey. I'm just guessing over aging a year. This is podcast number six, Yehuda and the Twelve Tribes. Now, last time we watched Yaakov or Jacob change into Israel. This time we are going to discuss his twelve sons and their characters that came to form the new group. And again, this is not the Jews. This is the group that came before, called the Children of Israel. We're going to have to backtrack a bit and witness the 12 births that took place in last time's podcast and talk a bit about the characters of the sons and their subsequent tribes. I'm going to go in order of mothers, starting with Leah. Now, Leah is a character who evokes a lot of pathos. She is weak-eyed Leah, spurned by her husband in favour of her pretty sister, Rachel or Rachel. Except here's the twist. For many years, Rachel is barren. So Leah uses her kids as weapons to taunt her sister. She calls the first Reuven. He's the oldest. And he's called, Look, I have a son. Is it really that petty? Is, is really Leah with every child? Going to taunt her sister, is that all that's going on? Of course not. There's also a concept that parents have a power of prophecy when children. Either it refers to something that will happen in the future, or it sometimes it's actually a bit ironic. So, as well as it being, look I have a son on a very superficial level, Ruven becomes a very responsible character. Everybody is looking towards Reuven. He's a kind of typical older brother there. And his tribe in the future are always coming to the protection of the, the 12 tribes. The next two sons are Shimon and Levi. The text does like to couple them together. And both tribes ends up with basically no land. And they are cursed by Yaakov. We're going to talk more about that later. So what does Shimon mean? Shimon means God heard. You know, I wanted a child. God heard. He didn't hear you. That kind of thing. Or God heard. God heard what? If we want to take it in a positive way, that's God heard his prayer. Another possibility is God heard. Not necessarily all the good things that Shimon's been doing. Also, just generally, we heard, or we didn't hear. We've no idea where Shimon ends up. Shimon, the tribe Shimon, basically disappears in the future. Levi or Levi. That means accompany. My husband will accompany me. As opposed to, he won't accompany you, being Rachel. And in future, Levi actually becomes a bit of a follower. Uh, sometimes for really bad things, sometimes really fantastic things. The Levites become the priestly caste and they follow the kings and the mobile sanctuary around. And now Yehuda. Now I know. Now I know what? Now I know that my husband loves me. Great. Yes. 
again naming a child to taunt Rachel. But they also become a kind of tribe of knowledge, as it were. Uh, they were a royal tribe. And in fact, when Yaakov dies, Yehuda gets royal blessing. They become the tribe of kings. King David is from the tribe of Yehuda. More on Yehuda later. And then we have Issachar. I have acquired a son. Let's just say he ends up in acquisitions in trade. And Zvulun, from Zvul meaning treasure, he's the treasured one. Zvulun, Zebulun in King James English. Fantastic news! Rachel finally has kids. She's not actually barren. It looked like in the story she was going to be. She has kids, just two. But they're real characters, very, very important ones for the development of our story. Her first son, Yosef, he will increase. This is, I would say, objectively, the best name in the entire Bible. And me saying this has nothing to do that my name is, in fact, Yosef. So who is this Yosef? It's Joseph. He increases good fortune to the family and good fortune to Egypt and good fortune to the entire Middle East, really. He's a very, very important character. Then you have Binyamin, which means one of two things. So when Rachel names him, she is just about to die. I'm giving birth. And he is named Ben Oni, son of my pain. That's not a very good name, really, is it? So Yaakov renames him Binyamin, son of my right hand, Benjamin. He's a bit of a dark horse, or a scary wolf, as it would seem. Uh, that's the, the blessing is uh, he is a scary wolf. It's both a kingly tribe and the focus of a lot of pains and tribulations over the next few thousand years or so. I mentioned last time how Yaakov got a nice present from his father-in-law Lavan, two concubines, and Rachel and Leah respectively get to name their concubines' kids. So Bilha is Leah's concubine, and she has two kids. Dan, God judges. That's obviously with the whole Leah theme of taunting her sister. God judges between me and you. But also in future it becomes in the rather nasty sense of God judging and meeting out retribution both onto the children of Israel and the children of Israel's enemies. And in the sense of Dan being a tribe of justice, sometimes these names are a little bit ironic. And sometimes Dan is the tribe of lack of justice. And then we have Naphtali wrestling with my sister. Yes, I know, getting a bit tedious here. Compare this to Israel, who also has a wrestling implications in his name. We have Zilpah, who is Rachel's concubine. Gad, which means fortune came. Or if you take the complete phrase she uses, she uses the phrase Ba-Gad. Ba meaning came, Gad meaning fortune. If you put the two words together, Ba-Gad, you get cheater. Oops. Gad is both a very fortunate character and a bit of a kind of brigand, both the backbone of the future army and a source of banditry and all that kind of stuff. Asher, which means happy. He's happy. There we go. 
Yaakov becomes Israel and he's free to roam around Canaan, so he does, and he roams around and his sons grow and they raise their own families and there are far too many stories for the time. So I'm going to set a limit to the podcast and I'll focus just on two which will affect the course of history. So they're hanging out in Canaan when the only girl mentioned to Leia actually, which is Dina, also has implications of judgment by the way. She's kidnapped. She's kidnapped by a uh, gentleman called Shem, who also gives his name to the village he's from, Shem, which is modern-day Nablus, and he's the son of Hamor. Uh, his father's name means donkey. And he kidnaps Dina and rapes her. And then has the gall to ask his father to ask Yaakov for the hand of Dina in marriage. So Yaakov makes a treaty with Hamor, and the deal is... If Hamor and all his progeny will circumcise themselves, then they can marry into Yaakov's family. All does not go well. On the third day, after all of Hamor's people have circumcised themselves, Shimon and Levi enter Shem, the village, and slaughter Every single male in the village while they're incapacitated. Now, Yaakov here disciplines his sons on the basis that you don't break a treaty and that they've embittered the relationship between themselves and the surrounding people. Was he right to do this? Was Yaakov right to discipline them? Should Yaakov have done something? Is Yaakov being Yaakov in this case? Or is he being Israel, Yaakov being less assertive and less direct, and Israel, Yisrael being more assertive? I'm not going to give you the answers for these questions. You be the jury! Shimon and Levi never really recover from this story. The more radical modern biblical analysis actually claims that this story is written many, many years in the future, when to explain why Levi has no land and Shimon has virtually disappeared. A more traditional approach would be to say that this story is prophetic. It's a foreshadowing of what's going to happen to Shimon and Levi. Judah, or Yehuda, is also an interesting character. His name is to do with knowing. His tribe becomes the royal tribe, and you'd expect some really excellent behaviour from him, right? Right? No, sorry. He heads down, both spiritually and physically, from the heights of where his brothers are living on the Judean hills. Hopefully I'll get round to putting a map up so you can see where this is. To a place in the valley called Timna. And he goes by way of another place in the foothills called Adulam. He makes a friend with a, an Adulamite, a person from Adulam, and marries his daughter. And if you've been paying attention to the last few podcasts, you know that this is a real no-no. And then, when he's in Timna, and he marries off his son, heir, to a local Timnite. And that's even worse than marrying your son off to a local Adulamite. Timnites seem to be far worse than Adulamites. Ooh, don't want to do that. He marries a lady called Tamar. Tamar means date palm. 
the text records that Er is an evil man and he commits acts of evil. What acts of evil, we're not entirely sure. Because of this, God smites him and he dies. So there we go, some nice biblical smiting going on. Now there's a law called the Leveret Law, that if your brother dies leaving no heirs, you have to marry your brother's wife to carry on your brother's name and the name of your family. So Onan, who is Yehuda's son by the Adolamite lady and heir's brother, marries Tamar. Now, notwithstanding what Onanism is today, he doesn't fulfil his marital obligations. There's something to do with him spilling his seed and he gets smote too. So... Now Yehuda has a third son, Shelah, but Shelah doesn't have much to do with this story. And no way to carry on his name? What does Yehuda do? He prohibits Shelah from marrying Tamar and then goes and shears his sheep. So Tamar acts. She disguises herself so that her identity is unknown, heads down to where Yehuda will be shearing his sheep and pretends to be a prostitute. She seduces the kingly Yehuda, and when Yehuda asks what her price is, she says, your belt and your special seal, and your very distinctive tassels. They all had uh, distinctive tassels to tell them apart, so Yehuda had special tassels. He doesn't think anything about this. He gives her the belt, gives her the special tassels. They... Do whatever they do. And Yehuda heads back. Later on, Tamar becomes pregnant. And, and Yehuda hears that she's pregnant. And doesn't know that why this has happened. But declares that she is a harlot. And she'll be executed. Take her out and burn her. So Tamar sends the belt and the tassels back to Yehuda. And says... Do you know whose these are? And the penny drops. And he rescinds his order that she be killed. And actually the two children who descend from Yehuda here, Peretz and Zerach, are very righteous men. So what exactly is happening here? Who's the hero? Uh, I'll give you a head start. It's not Yehuda. It's a heroine again. It's Tamar. Tamar sacrifices her dignity... For the sake of a tribe that's not actually hers. Also, let's talk about language named Tamar. It's a tree of chesed, of righteousness. It provides fruit and shade. Every part of the date tree can be used here. Also, the other, other word here, prostitute, in Hebrew, they don't use the normal word for prostitute, which is zona. The word that's used here is Kadesha. Kadesha is a word which is similar to other words in its linguistic group. All the words which have in it the letters K, D, and Sh, Kuf, Dalid, and Shin, Kadosh, that means holy, Le Kadesh, that means sanctify, Le Hakdish, to set aside. So it's to do with being separate, holy, outside our experience. Why, why is a Kadesha holy? Why is a prostitute holy? Well, on the one sense, 
uh, there was a suggestion through historians and biblical scholars that there were temple prostitutes. On the other side of things, because holy means separate, it means outside our experience, so the prostitute is separate and outside the community's experience. It's taboo. Yehuda is looking for a zona. Tamar gives him a Kadesha instead. Tamar really is the heroine in this story and she is responsible for Yehuda's tribe continuing. And why is that important? Well, Yehuda's tribe is firstly the Messianic tribe, the tribe of King David. Secondly, Yehuda is the is the only tribe apart from Levi's tribe and a ragtag of other parts of tribes to return from the Babylonian exile. And the people that settled the land after the Babylonian exile, they're known as the tribe of Judah, tribe of Yehuda, or the Yehudim, or the Judeans, or the Jews. So this is a very, very important story in terms of the continuity of the history of the Jews. Next time, we will discuss the development of Yehuda's character and all of his brother's characters in the story of a different royal tribe. That's Yosef, Joseph. Please remember, you can follow the podcast on scoutisrael.com. I'm Yossi Silverman, Jewish educator, licensed tour guide, and you have been listening to The History of Judaism. Thank you for listening. Thank you.